be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, perhaps a skydiver plummeting to the earth from only 2,000 feet into the air. No parachutes yet. Those can't be skydivers. I can't tell just yet what they are, but... Oh, my God, they're twerking! Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of my eyes! One just went through the windshield of a parked car! running around pushing each other oh my goodness oh the humanity oh, people are running about uh, the turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement i don't know how much longer the, the crowd is running for their lives i think i'm going to step inside i can't stay out here and watch this any longer thanks for that on the spot report class <laughs> just tuned in, the Pinedale Shopping Mall has just been bombed with live turkey. <laughs> Film at 11. It ain't cool being no jive turkey. So close to Thanksgiving. Yeah! Hello, and welcome to a special Turkey Day episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and a few of us at the Burn headquarters would like to offer up what we might consider to be some of John Burns' turkeys. Well, we are not going to be overly negative about uh, what we have chosen, but we do consider that these either plots or characters or stories uh, just don't quite work. So I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll please bear with us. We're experiencing technical difficulty. Hello? Can anybody hear me? Well, I think I've got this working. Listen, you got to help me. I'm one of the interns for Third Degree Burn, and Brian keeps us here in the, the basement in the dungeon. There's, there's no way for us to get out. But this time he said, well, maybe we can have some Thanksgiving turkey if we would record something special for him. So I've tricked him. I've said that I was going to record a 10-minute review of a burned turkey, but this is a plea for help. If you're enjoying this show, please send us an email. Let us know you're out there. Give us some encouragement. We're not sure how much longer we can last down here in the dungeon. Well, I was trying to come up with a burned turkey, and I thought of a couple of different possibilities. First, some people really didn't like the Burn uh, Babe series. They ju it just wasn't their cup of tea. So I thought, well, maybe I'd do something about that. And then I got to thinking about it. I thought, well, maybe I'd do Trio. It was sort of a thinly disguised view of the Fantastic Four. But some people really liked that, and I'm not sure that it really led anywhere. So I kind of backed off from that. And then I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do the last Galactus story. Because, well, that never really ended, but I don't think that's hardly fair either, because that's not Burns' fault. It just, it was an epic story, but it never got any place. That is, it never finished, so... I decided against that. And then I thought, you know, the one that I really thought was a turkey was the sequel to The Next Men. Someplace in the issues, uh, the arc that uh, was sort of a sequel to The Next Men ran about four issues or so. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, that's like, like trying to read or present the Dark Phoenix saga without revealing that Jean Grey and the Phoenix were not the same entity. I mean, that's kind of the point, the resolution. And if you give that away, then people that haven't read it, they're going to be really upset. So I thought about it, 
And it's like, no, although I'd really like to do that next men last gasp. I can't think of the exact story arc, but it, it just gives away too much. And so I decided I wouldn't do that. So what am I left with here? I'm about a quarter of the way through this and really haven't settled on anything. So I decided to go back to the original idea, Babe 2. It's sort of a sequel. It employs a couple of the characters from the original series, but it really doesn't have that much overlap. I think maybe this qualifies as a turkey because, first of all, it has talking alligators in it. And if that's not enough, Babe just suddenly appears at the beginning. I won't give away who Babe is, but yeah, she's suddenly reconstituted. And there's a character that is a very thin version of the Mole Man from Fantastic Four and Marvel Comics. They call him the Shrew, but boy, it sure looks like Mole Man to me. The whole story takes place in the sewers underneath New York City. And although it's a clever idea, a clever concept, you know, something just doesn't click about this because it's just a completely different story from the original what else is kind of odd? Well, there's at least one sequence where instead of drawing the figures at all, everybody, Babe, Shrew, the vehicle that he's escaping with, they're all they're all in profile. They're totally black instead of being totally white, like the whiteout issue of Alpha Flight. They're totally black with no features. They're all in silhouette for a full page. And it's not a printing mistake. It was actually designed to do this. Well... What else can I tell you about this series? Oh, yeah, there's a guest star. Surprise, it's Abe Sapien from the Hellboy series. So where does he come from, and why does Byrne have that? Well, apparently he's been investigating. He doesn't show up until the second issue of this two-issue series. And what else? Uh, at the complete end, Danger Unlimited speaks up and says, you know, we're interested in this babe character. We should check her out and uh, perhaps have her join the team. But guess what? There is no additional issue. The whole thing comes to an end there. So I I think this was somewhat of a, a misstep on the part of Byrne. It's not a bad two issue. I mean if you're if you're buying it, you're only out two issues. And it's trying to ride the coattails of the first four issue series, which boy, that really shifted gears and jumped around. So I guess you have to expect with the Babe series that it's gonna shift gears and do a left turn when you're not expecting it, but uh, this was kind of really unexpected. I think in some ways, Byrne was just having fun and just kind of turning uh, whichever, which way he wanted, uh, incorporating random ideas, and this is not a bad overall scope to have intelligent lizards with a society under the sewers of New York City. I mean, that's not bad. I'm not sure that it's good, but it's not bad. It's just, it, I don't think it really goes anywhere. It's like a, a side adventure. And, uh, you know, we get the Abe Sapien from uh, Hellboy introduced, and then the rest of Danger Unlimited shows up right at the end. But uh, Babe has uh, disappeared once more at the end of this. So there isn't a great deal of explanation about who Babe is or, or what she is or where she comes from. Uh, she sort of shows up, and uh, it's somewhat assumed that you have some knowledge of her from prior four issues. So when she disappears or dissipates, I don't know how to say it without giving too much away, uh, you know, it just kind of sets things back to the original uh, 
position. She's back in New York City, and uh, everything is back. Byrne has always said that when a writer ends a series or ends an arc, he needs to return the toys to the same place in their toy box so that they'll be able to, the next writer can pick up and go from ground zero. It's one reason why there's never any development, never anything that can't be reversed for the most part in Byrne's writings and Byrne's comics because he puts the toys back in their original position. All the chess pieces basically go back, so you have essentially the same character and the same supporting staff. Now, that's not always been true, but it's been true enough, and I, I respect him for having that type of integrity. Well, that's about all I can think of. I'm in the last three minutes of this now, and I want to make an appeal to you, the listeners. Not only should you send us in maybe some emails to uh, Gotta Get Burned, or give us some feedback on the Facebook page, but I'd really like your input. I'm thinking about proposing a subcategory, a sub-feature that will run along with uh, Third Degree Burn, maybe once a month, a feature that will look at uh, the Namor series, since I have an affiliation with Submariner, having done a podcast in the past about him. I was thinking that maybe I could do something that would review one issue per episode, and give Brian and Tim some relief. Now, there are a bunch of hurdles that have to be overcome here as far as technology and my ability to record and whether or not I can record a Skype call to include some guests. But it's something that I'm thinking about proposing. So if this would be something that would be of interest of you, we would only focus on the first 24 issues of Namor. That is the two-year run that uh, John Byrne piloted that he positioned and as he developed the character. And I think there's some really interesting, really nice things in there. Again, with a couple of turkeys along the way. But, hey, you can't always bat a 1,000. Um, I'm thinking that it would probably be a good idea uh, to do that. They have the griffin. That would be interesting. There's a trip to the Savage Land. Uh, there's some super scroll information there. There's Iron Fist that comes to visit and a couple of his villains. And... Uh, Kind of at the end, I won't spoil it for you, but there's a return to some of Namor's amnesia situation for the next writer to kind of deal with. So I think this would be worthwhile. It's pure John Byrne. I can't think of uh, any other artists or any fill-ins that occurred during the two-year stretch. And so it's pretty clear that he posited this or uh, agreed to do this for Marvel and that he decided that he would uh, you know, finish that out and then relinquish it to somebody else. I think it works pretty well. I remember uh, the further we got into this and the further the complex storylines were going on, the better it was. So uh, as opposed to offering this up as a turkey, I'm thinking of this as a side dish. So if this is a good concept, if you would be interested in hearing this, I'd be willing to try to take a swing at it and try to get on a regular schedule. Maybe it'd be one issue per episode. Maybe it'd be two issues per episode. But uh, essentially, it'd be a synopsis, uh, maybe a critique of the book, a little bit of an overview, maybe a commentary on what's been introduced and what the significance is to the series, and maybe even read some letters from the viewers or the listeners. Well, that's all I've got. Listen, i got to go before they catch me here. I'm going to put this out in the uh, email and send it off to uh, Brian and Tim and see if maybe they'll get this published. Don't forget about me. I'm Kirk Greenfield. See you later. Happy Thanksgiving. 
This is John, and welcome to my part of the Third Degree Burn Thanksgiving 2020 Anthology episode. <laughs> hey, that was a mouthful. Hey, so, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. As you probably figured out by now, Tim and Brian thought to honor the day we should do John Burn turkeys. I'm up for that. Hey, I look forward to a full Thanksgiving-style turkey dinner with the roasted birch, stuffing, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, yeast rolls, everything. So, hey, why not look for why not talk about something that I'm looking forward to from John Byrne that hopefully someday we'll cover and actually I think I we will. I'll be able to probably convince them. I'm going to talk about uh, the champions, uh, John Byrne's work on the champions. And I'm just going to pick episode or um, episode yet. <laughs> I'm going to pick issue 11. That was his first <laughs> work on there <laughs> this is this first issue i hope we can cover a lot of the actually i hope we can cover the swarm issues those are from my memory really really fun stories i really enjoyed them back then in the day champions was one of those books that uh, when i was a kid growing up that it didn't last for very long 17 issues 18 if you count the supervillain team up that wrapped up the storyline that john Byrne actually drew as well and uh, it was just a fun, it was a fun book. First of all, I got to see Angel and Iceman, who were part of the X-Men characters that I that I liked. I really liked Black Widow. I liked uh, the dynamic with Hercules. I liked uh, when they brought in Darkstar and Black Goliath. That was just so cool. So the the concept to me was, was really f- fun, and it was great, and... Um, I missed a lot of the early issues as they were coming out because, you know, this book uh, came out um, 1976 is when it started and I was still finding my way through different books. Uh, and, of course, back then, not every book was available as easily as they are today. Uh, you kind of relied on what showed up on your grocery store rack or the spinner rack or down at the uh, Circle K or 7-Elevens or whatever. So, um, you know, a lot of this stuff was kind of hit and miss. Uh, and we had to go to several different places to just try to make sure we could find all the, the continuations of the books, me and my buddies. But, you know, the champions did show up, and I was really, I kind of liked it. And then all of a sudden, John Byrne was on there, and I, you know, I didn't know who really John Byrne was. Art was art for the most part. I either liked it or I didn't. I didn't really follow artists until I think X-Men started, and then I started really paying attention to who was who. Because, uh, let's say, let's face it, when John Byrne, George Perez, a couple of other, uh, Mike Grell, a couple of other artists... Uh, their artwork really stood out, and you really wanted to find it and 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 follow it. So, uh, John Byrne was one of those. Uh, I didn't really. I, I guess I noticed him on the later Champions stories, but uh, on this early one, it was really cool uh, because it was the Champions, and it was a great concept. So I'm, I love. I'm looking forward to when we can. Uh, talk about the champions and his work on the champions and what's really cool is so we have the champions and uh, the champions was cover dated in february 1977 but it was released in november of 2016 so i'm thinking that this was probably drawn in the summer uh, maybe october or not october i'm probably thinking um, july august ish maybe depend from what i've heard about how lead times work on that and it's interesting because this is some of his very early work in artistry, but also in uh, working for Marvel. So from what I, what I found out, he started out doing Iron Fist, 
And at the same time, he was also doing Marvel Team-Up. <laughs> so the month that Champions 11 came out, he was also drawing Iron Fist, and he started on Marvel Team-Up with number 53. So that was quite a busy... Um, oh, he had Marvel Team-Up 54. 53 had just come out. So he, he was pretty busy as a young artist starting out. So I love this because uh, the here's the credits for the book. Script by Bill Mantlo, inks by Bob Layton, Letters by Patterson, that would be Bruce Patterson. Colors by Don Warfield. Editing by Archie Goodwin. And introducing the pulse pounding pencils of John Byrne, artist. So, <laughs> uh, he got quite an introduction there. That's, that's pretty outstanding. And uh, the splash page starts out with, man, drama. Uh, uh, I almost want to think of uh, Johnny Quest theme, you know, because... The champion's little Quinjet is plummeting to the ground with the champions holding on for dear life. Except for Angel. He's like being very, very bossy right about now. It's like, dude, man, lay off the Black Widow. It's like, gosh, she's trying. <laughs> and then Bill Foster over there on the top of the building. And that's just pending. And the, the motion is there. And you can uh, you, you, just not even looking at the words you see you know there's stuff going on and <laughs> um, it's really cool and it's really kind of funny because even in the small the small less detailed images of the pictures of the face you can see that uh, black widow is trying hard and then you and then you look at the text and you even get even more nice angle view it's not straight on or anything like that really good composition as we move into the different pages you know we're seeing the craft at its at its beginning stages we're seeing the layouts and some of the more dynamic aspects of things which are uh, really cool and when i look at other sometimes some of some other books and things you can say oh yeah I, I see how the marvel style of artistry and how these artists back then really told stories with just their words uh, you can almost see without the words what's happening which is really a good good way to really shows how cool an artist can be uh, when they can tell the story with just their art and then the words just kind of fill in the minor details, which are kind of cool. And uh, we get on um, page uh, one, two, three. I'm reading this from the John Byrne Omnibus, Marvel Marvel Universe Omnibus. Thanks, David. And uh, it's beautiful. So I don't know exactly which pages are which. But on the third page, uh, we get Black Goliath growing to his to his full height with this great costume uh looks really cool looks great it's great to see bill showing up and saving the day he gets uh, slammed by the quinjet or the champions jet i don't remember what they called it and uh, everyone works together to uh which is really classic to, to save the the quinjet from plummeting over and uh, smashing into a building or down on the streets below of los angeles and uh, you know, it's that classic teamwork of Angel holding Iceman, Iceman creating an ice ramp, which when it melts, I wonder what's going to happen when chunks of ice fall down. But, you know, we didn't think about that back then. <laughs> some kind of cool stuff. Anyway, some great action here. It switches in, in the middle. It switches to uh, the desert. And we got Ghost Rider out there being stampeded. Uh, really an impressive center panel there. Guest star is Hawkeye and Two, two Gun Kid. Uh, great little story, and you know it's um, a lot of a lot of characters. <laughs> it's not like Legion of Superheroes, but uh, there there's just a lot a lot of uh, characters here which are really good. I think some of the best artwork he his best images are when he finally brings in Do Dark Star, and 
she just i don't know that's just very very much like his normal burn work the the rest of the the characterizations they they look sort of burn like his typical work uh, but definitely doesn't have the characteristic style that we normally notice in his faces uh, uh, for both his males and his female characters. And maybe that's part of uh, Bob Layton's uh, influence as the inker. And, and I'm not saying they're not bad, that they're bad artwork. They are really, um, really nicely done. So the ink does well. Uh, maybe John Byrne was still just developing his style, or maybe he gave a little bit looser. Uh, lucid page turn in but dark uh, dark star uh, really really is definitely it looks like his his work there and his style and she just looks beautiful um, almost like Gwen Stacy grown up <laughs> uh, now that we think about it um, just beautiful smiles and everything like that uh, the designs are great uh, he just does a really good layout it's just uh, I really like this book and I'm really looking forward to when we the third degree burn posse can all get together and talk about it I do have <laughs> I do have to talk about this one page there's uh, it's towards the end I don't remember which one yeah it's, it's four pages from the end there's like this these pictures of, of Dark Star Black Widow and Hercules and they're all like uh, angsty and they're oh, and Iceman's on there too and they all look like they have the same mouth <laughs> it's just like ah <laughs> so it's really kind of funny I think uh, I think he was probably working on that style as well but uh, you know it turns out good and oh and this page with Black Widow her eyes definitely are the eyes that we've become familiar with with um, some of his close-ups on female characters and stuff beautiful beautiful artwork I've just got to say that um, it ends with a cliffhanger it's Really enjoyed rereading it, and it makes me want to go through and read the rest. He was the artist through uh, issue number 15 on this, and then I was looking at um, issue 17 that he's credited with, and actually it looks like he's credited as inks, not as art, which was interesting. I didn't know that he had ever uh, supplied just inks, so that's that's interesting work as well. That issue's not in the, the omnibus, so that's... Kind of why I was like, wait, wait, why isn't that one in there? And then I looked at Mike's Amazing World and uh, said that he was uh, responsible for inks. So, uh, oh, the boss, Brian, is sending me a Facebook messenger. Let's see, what does that say? Um, hey, John, just clarifying what we mean by turkey. That means that it is a flop. So find a John Byrne issue that is a flop. Oh. Oh, by Turkey, I thought it was something we were looking forward to. That's different. Never mind. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Hello, lovely listeners. Copyright Andy Leyland. Uh, this is Tim Elliott, and this is my portion of the Third Degree Burn Turkey Day special episode. Uh, we were each uh, we each decided we would record uh, a small show uh, detailing what we consider to be John Byrne turkeys. So here I sit on a wonderful Thanksgiving Day evening, having just had a wonderful meal with my wife, and now I'm enjoying a nice adult beverage. And I was thinking, what would I cover? Well, I had some plans uh, in mind as to what I was going to talk about, but unfortunately, uh, Kirk, Kirk Greenfield, uh, pinched those. 
you know, he got he beat me to it. So I will not be talking about Babe, which was my original idea, because that series just didn't sit well with me. So I sat here and I thought and I thought and I thought, what would I talk about? Because John Byrne really has not had a lot of misses for someone who's been in the uh, the comic industry and is a creator for so long. He is usually, you know, he's he's usually hitting it up there. He has not had a lot of stuff that has not worked. But as I thought and I thought, I finally had to come to terms with the one series that, for me, and this is probably controversial for Byrne fans, is his run on Sensational She-Hulk. And the reason why that run doesn't work for me is it feels like a gimmick show or a gimmick it's a gimmick concept with her breaking the fourth wall all the time. And I think that works for me. That would work better for a limited issue or a limited series, like four issues, maybe six. But to do a whole series like that, it, it's for me, it grew, it got a little tired. And I know this is kind of cheating in a way because we have covered one of her. We have covered She-Hulk before back in episode number 22. We covered uh, issue number 36. So if you really want to hear a really in-depth thought um, or a review of that issue, go back and listen to uh, episode 22. Anyway, so it, it's, it wasn't easy for me to, you know, when I was, I think on that show, I admitted that I wasn't necessarily uh, crazy about the, the humor and the breaking of the fourth wall. And while the humor is not as, it didn't irritate me as much as it did in Babe, it, it grew very tiresome. Because it was, you knew it, you know what the, the idea was going to be. She was going to break the fourth wall all the time. And while the artwork is top notch, I have no, I have no quarrels with the the artwork at all. It's Burns at the top of his game. The artwork is great. He's having a lot of fun with the covers. Uh, he 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 did his not met a pun he didn't embrace, and he pulls in a lot of kind of B, C, and D list characters, and he has a lot of fun with them. And it seems. Seems that he's really indulging himself with uh, this type of humor and with her breaking the fourth wall. And he makes a lot of type of uh, meta references. There's a lot of Easter eggs and all the and all of the issues. And but it just didn't work for me. And I that's why I would like it better as a limited series. And there were some touching moments uh, that he did in some of his issues. Issue 36, which is the one we cover in issue 22 has a nice scene with her and her father. But this is not a series that I'm likely to revisit very often. Because as much as I love the art, and it's kind of fun in the first read to kind of pick out the Easter eggs and to pick out his references and to kind of get a chuckle that, well, he's he's you know, he's he's calling reference to something that, that as comic readers we might ourselves. But for, you know, he did the first, I think, nine issues... And then he left the book, and he came back, and he finished out the run, and that just, it got to be almost too much. It just, it just, I just couldn't, um, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself reading it over and over, so I, I, I hate to say I got a little bored with it. And I think when he does humor, that seems to be his, when he's doing straight humor, that seems to be his, a little more of a stumbling block for him. When he's doing humor within an episode, or he's had a character being funny, or he's writing a joke within his, uh, a series that works but when he's writing pure humor kind of the way he did with 
She-Hulk and when he did the what the issues, uh, it seems a little forced. So I know um, She-Hulk, the sensation of She-Hulk is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is very popular among Burn fans, and I'm not saying it's a bad issue or a bad series, but as much as I like, and I, I give him all the credit in the world for taking the She-Hulk when he brought her into the Fantastic Four and made her an A-level character. He really expanded her uh, her backstory, her character, her uh, her personality, and he did wonderful things with her. And I think his Sensational She-Hulk graphic novel is one of the best things he's done. But I don't know what made him decide to take this this route with uh, Sensational She-Hulk when he decided to, for her to break the fourth wall. I, you know, I had the same problem with uh, Deadpool, when he does it on a constant basis. If it was done every once in a while, that's kind of fun. But when it's all the time and he's kind of speaking to the the reader, then I, I just, again, I got tired of it. But uh, I think... I think Burns' talents are better suited with straight, uh, straight storytelling and artwork. Although I said the She-Hulk artwork is there's nothing, not not a bad bit there. It's all good artwork. It's all great. There, he has a, a great time with the covers. Um, but if it, you know, if I don't want to read them again, then I think they have either missed their mark. And that's with me. I know She-Hulk is beloved, and I know this run is beloved. Uh, it just it's just not something I'm looking for in a comic. So I think uh, that would be my one misstep other than I mean if I, I was obviously I was gonna wanted to cover Babe because I have stronger feelings towards Babe that I thought that was a bigger misstep than I thought that whole issue, the whole concept, the whole story arc again, the artwork and that is great. But I think the the whole run of Babe was a, a burns misstep. With She-Hulk, I think it's just the idea that the breaking of the fourth wall. If he had played it straight, uh, the way he did, he treated her in Fantastic Four, I think I would be more into it, and I would be more willing or wanting to revisit those issues. So I think that's that's about all I've got to say for She-Hulk. I I don't want to. I'm not going to trash it. It's not a it's not a bad series. It's just not my series. And I realize that the wonderful thing about comics is that. Well, what I don't like, somebody else likes. So uh, there's something for everybody out there. So I would like to uh, hope that everyone is having a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Everyone's staying safe. Uh, I hope that the, the next year will be better for everybody. And I think we're all going to get through this. And I think that is, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up. I think, I uh, uh, hope you, you guys are enjoying our show. Uh, we put a lot of work into it, a lot of heart into it, and we do it because we love to do it. So uh, this is going to be a shorter episode, uh, and it's kind of it was, it was kind of done impromptu, so it's not going to be have or not as have as much of a polish as our other shows do. But I hope that you enjoy it, and everyone has a has a wonderful uh, holiday, and enjoy. And I will see you again on the next exciting episode of Third Degree Burn, coming soon to a podcast near you. Hello and welcome to Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with nobody. I'm here with nobody. 
I've got nobody to talk to, nobody to bounce my ideas off, nobody to butt in on, nobody to talk over, nobody to interrupt on. Yes, it's going to be fun. Anyway, um, what we're doing here for Thanksgiving is this kind of little treat where we're all going to uh, pick one book that uh, we kind of feel is not necessarily the, you know, not necessarily a great book. And, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily want to be negative about it, but at the same time, you know, there are some books you could point at and say, this wasn't the best work, or this, this you know, had issues with it. Um, the, the one I actually picked here is actually Iron Fist number one. And, of course, that's the first issue of the 15-issue series that uh, Byrne and Claremont did back in the, the mid-70s when Byrne first, first started working at Marvel. <clears throat> Prior to this, he had worked on uh, a Dracula story and then, of course, uh, an Iron Fist story that was in um, Marvel Premiere. And I believe it was issue 25 or 26. Uh, I'll give you the particulars on this book itself. <clears throat> Iron Fist number one, published by Marvel Comics. The cover date was November 1975, but the on-sale date was August 12, 1975. Uh, the book was coming out bi-monthly at that point in time. The cover price was 25 cents. The page count was 32. <clears throat> Written by Chris Claremont. Penciler by John Byrne. Inker Al McWilliams. Letterer Dave Hunt. Colorist Janice Cohen. And editor is Marv Wolfman. Uh, now this is uh, reprinted in the Essential Iron Fist Volume 1 trade paperback. Uh, and I believe it's there's going to be an Iron Fist uh, omnibus coming out here soon. But uh, the story is titled A Duel of Iron. Now, before I go further, I want to talk a little bit about the anchor, Al McWilliams. Now, Al McWilliams was a guy out of the Golden Age who started in 1938. His career went from 1938 to 1984. And he only worked at Marvel for one year, and that was 1975. Before that, he'd been doing a lot of war comics and other things like that. Uh, and afterwards, he only he did a, a short stint with DC, but uh, he, he didn't really uh, do any much in the line of superhero comics. He did uh, an issue of Captain Marvel, uh, Marvel Premiere, another Iron Fist story, uh, Power Man number 27, and then this issue of Iron Fist, and that was really it. And I, I think it, it goes without saying that his style of inking lent more to the previous age, more of the Silver Age. Uh, look of the books than than you would see in the more modern age and and the style it just didn't work well with Burns pencils. Um, the other thing that really threw me off and kind of gave me a, a negative thing when I first looked at the book way back in the day was that the fact that um, Iron Fist comes up against Iron Man in this issue. And I'm I'm a huge fan of Iron Man. I didn't have this book initially when it came out. I didn't get it until, oh gosh, years later. I'd have to say in the 90s when I finally got it. And of course, the Iron Man I know is the Iron Man that, you know, for the most part, Bob Layton had a huge hand in. And so when I saw this Iron Man, I was like, what am I looking at here? Because the Iron Man that was being drawn at the time in the Iron Man books uh, actually had like a, a nose crinkle on the helmet. Uh, the armor looked pretty much the same as the, the, as the Iron Man that you would see in the 80s, uh, red with the, the, the golden uh, arms and legs, but it wasn't as flashy, it wasn't as shiny. It didn't look like metal. It looked like he was wearing 
some kind of almost latex suit or uh, lycra or, you know, the the <laughs> the fabric of the day, rather spandex, rather than an iron outfit. It's almost like he was wearing a girdle of iron with all that spandex. So he didn't look as impressive. Uh, and you could see his eyes through the eye holes and he just didn't have the look of the Iron Man that we became so familiar with in later years. So it gave the book a very old feeling to it. Like it was, you know, a, a product of the bygone era rather than of the, you know, of the work that we've seen from John Byrne. Now, McWilliams inking is serviceable. It's not bad. It just that compared that combined with the look that Iron Man had back in the day just didn't make the book look that great. Um, again, you can see the you know Burns work uh, in there and it looks great in certain panels, especially Iron Fist himself, who's a very dynamic looking character. And nobody draws that costume and everything better than Byrne. But uh, the, the rest of the book is kind of held back by, by the art. Again, it, it, it makes me think of, of uh, stories like um, The Human Target uh, and others of that era from, from DC Comics, more than it uh, looked like a Marvel book. Um, Angar the Screamer didn't look as uh, wild as he did in other books. And um, the only places where Burns art really looked mostly burned was when you were seeing Iron Fist himself or when uh, Angar was using his power. It, uh, it, it took a, a lot away from it. And, and Misty Knight was also looking very unusual. She looked almost like a, a cartoon character. And she actually had a, a costume on that uh, kind of looked, looked like a cross between the X-Men's original costume, like, like what Kitty Pryde would be wearing with a turtleneck at the top of it. And then she'd be wearing like a trench coat. Um, and it had the little MK big uh, wrestlers belt buckle on it, uh, which I thought was uh, interesting. But again, the, the book had more of a, a cartoony feel to it. And uh, it just didn't look like, you know, as much like Burns' later work. It, it looked like it, it came from 10 years before rather than one issue before the later issues. I mean, when you get into the later issues and Dave Hunt and Dan Green and others come in and ink, you're looking at something that, you know, they, they've had a better feel for how Burns artwork should look. Um, it's not a bad story. It's a lot of fun. And again, the art is serviceable. It's just not as good as the rest of the series was. That being said, uh, you know, Al McWilliams had a good long career. Uh, he really only has about 108 credits to his name but uh, he does he is noted uh, noted noted as being co-creator of the first african-american league character in a comic strip uh, he won a national cartoonist society's 1978 award for comic book story now he also served in the army he fought on d-day and he was awarded the bronze star and francis croix de guerre now as i understand it it was the uh stories uh, Dateline Danger that uh, he worked with writer John Saunders on and it ran from 1968 to 1974 and that introduced the first African-American lead character on a comic strip. Danny Raven co-starred the adventure series about two intelligence agents 
working undercover as reporters. Uh, so, I mean, the guy's got, you know, he's got some creds in the industry. He's just more from the bygone era, in, in my opinion. And, you know, his career came to an end about 1984. And sadly, he passed away in 1993. Now, all that being said, um, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about the book. It's still serviceable. It just has a different look about it than, uh, you know, Byrne's later work. And again, you, I don't think you can blame Byrne for that. I would really like to see the pencil pages um, for that that issue, just to see you know what what the difference is between what Byrne did and what McWilliams did to the book, because obviously he has a, a strong enough hand in his inking that uh, a lot of characters did not look the way that I was accustomed to them looking. Misty Knight, uh, Ref Scarf. And uh, uh, just the other characters that, that were inter introduced into the story, even Tony Stark, uh, looked unusual um, as far as I was concerned. Did not look like some of the John Byrne had drawn. But again, it was 1975, the very beginning of Byrne's career. They were not going to just let him run willy-nilly in, in a book right away. So, uh, you know, they brought in uh, a number of different inkers to uh, work on him. And I, I'm sure they... they just kept, you know, Marv Wolfen as the editor, uh, kept trying different inkers until he saw some that worked really, really well. And we did get to see some great, great artwork from Byrne in a short amount of time. Ultimately, teaming him up with Terry Austin on X-Men. Now, as far as the writing and everything goes, Chris Claremont was the writer and Byrne was strictly the artist. So you'd call him an art robot. This was not the collaboration that they did when they worked on the X-Men. This was Claremont coming up with the story, Byrne just doing the art based on Claremont's story. So uh, he does not get the uh, plotter credit. Anyway, that being said, you should be able to find this somewhere. It's uh, pretty easy to find. I believe it is on Comixology, and uh, it is definitely worth a read. Uh, I would like to, to hear what you guys think about the art, especially... Iron Man, but if you if you do look at Iron Man there, you kind of need to look at the the artwork that was done on Iron Man in the day, and you know looking at that, you'll see that it was just a different a different book then. Anyway, um, it and it took a couple a, a year or so before Iron Man got back to the more streamlined, no nose, nice flat shell head look that we all. Uh, come to know and love i mean we're talking the iron man issues that um, this was done around the same time as would be about iron man 80 uh to 88 if i remember right and i'm going to go pull that up and look at it real quick you see without other people here i'm just you know winding up just trying to vamp you know i don't want to get you bored or anything so I, what should i tell you about my wife and kid they're in the other room right now making uh pies getting ready for tomorrow so uh, I can't wait because my wife is a damn good cook. And while I'm trying to do that, I forget where I'm looking. And that's the Invincible Iron Man. And as I said, it was about issue uh, 80, 80. Where does that start at? Yeah, issue 80 is uh, right smack dab in the, uh, the era that we're talking about. In fact, issue 80 came out the same month as Iron Fist number one. And you'll see that Burns Iron Man is faithful 
to uh, what was being put out in uh, Iron Man back in the day. I don't like it. I just don't. And it's just because of the, the nose, the, the, the way the nose is on it. And also the way that the armor is represented, uh, the inking on, on both uh, Iron Fist and Iron Man does not have the armor looking like it's metal. It just looks like um, he's wearing something skin tight under under some kind of girdle. There's no flash or shininess. It just doesn't really look like Iron Man's armor to me, the way I, the way that I expect to see it. Uh, the Iron Man books back at that time were being drawn by Chick Stone and inked by Vinnie Coletta. And I'll let you say whatever you want about that. Now, Marv Wolfman was the editor there also. So, uh, you know, I mean, he, I guess, made sure that everything stayed true to uh, continuity there. Anyway, that's what I have to say. I hope you all enjoyed this. Um, please write in and let me know just how bad I was at this, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll take it to heart and see what I can do about making it better next time. For Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. Happy Thanksgiving. The heavenly aroma still hung heavy in the house, but it was gone, all gone. No turkey, no turkey sandwiches, no turkey salad, no turkey gravy, turkey hash, turkey a la king, or gallons of turkey soup, gone, all gone. <laughs>